You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Have you caught a dose of FCS fever? Welcome to the FCS Beaver Podcast, a part of the Aaron Torres Media Feed. Now, here's your host of the FCS Beaver Podcast, Jeff Colhane. All right, let's fire it up. Here we go. The FCS Fever Podcast, a part of the Aaron Torres Media Feed. Man, I can't wait for the weekend. I know you can as well. And we are going to roll through and preview some of the big matchups around FCS college football from the Power Conference to a juicy swag rivalry that is building that has caught my attention here recently with Alabama A&M and Jackson State. Woo, you got some trash talking going on back and forth. I like that. That's what college football is all about, baby. And uh, we'll uh, we'll tell you about the uh, back and forth between the two head coaches in that matchup that's going on here this Saturday. As always, we have a great guest coming on the program. There might not be many better, if any better, as far as beat writers are concerned out there. Greg Medea from the Daily News Record in Harrisonburg, Virginia. He covers James Madison and JMU, a team that is fighting here early on in conference play to uh, be a squad we're talking about as a top two seed, maybe the number one team in the country overall when the bracket is unveiled. There's a lot of uh, football left to be played until that goes. But I'm telling you what, uh, it is a thin margin for error uh, if you want me to put my bracketologist hat on when it comes to who is going to receive a top two seed overall when this thing is all said and done uh, third week in November. Uh, Let's get into that. Let's talk about that here. Uh, For those of you that don't know, all all of you listening pretty much do, for, for those of you that don't, uh, 2014 bracket for the FCS uh, college football playoffs. It's the only true way in college football for us to know who wins a national championship. Why? Because we play it out on the field. The bracket isn't perfect, I will say that, but we still play the games. We play it out on the field. We find out ultimately who the best team is in college football. Now, what am I talking about here? Well, in going back through and looking at schedules, and looking at who has what, and trying to forecast down the road, I'm telling you, I I think there's only one spot left for a top two seed overall. Even today, as I sit here on October the 7th, and I'm I'm talking to you, or recording this podcast, I look at Sam Houston, folks, and it sounds like Eric Schmidt is healthy and is going to be back. Um, they had a scare in the Battle of the Piney Woods down in Houston. Schmidt didn't play the Southland Conference Player of the Year back in the springtime. But 
Sam Houston had their scare against rivalry matchup, rivalry opponent Stephen F. Austin. They had their scare. They survived. They, they win uh, by a point. They get the job done. Sam Houston's only playing 10 games this season in, uh, in the fall of 2021 after a uh, lengthy uh, uh, campaign in the springtime winning a spring season national championship. So they elected to play one less game with player health in mind. Uh, they've joined the new WAC uh, A-Sun AQ7 League here this fall, which will then split off on their own and uh, become two different conferences, right? Well, look, Sam Houston is unbeaten right now, and I look at the rest of their schedule, I don't think there's a loss on the slate for Sam Houston. Uh, Jacksonville State has just been unable to get it together, and I don't think that's going to be a game Sam Houston struggles with at home in a couple of weeks here. So that means, what I'm telling you, Sam Houston's 10-0. and 0. I think they're going to finish unbeaten. I think they'll finish 10-0. and 0. And as defending national champions, the way we've seen the committee look at this in years past, I think Sam Houston right now, barring something crazy or unforeseen or some massive injuries, Sam Houston's going to get a top-two seed. Whether or not you believe their resume is better than somebody else's out there, I think Sam Houston, as an undefeated defending national champion, is going to get a top-two seed. So what does that mean? That means there is slim, slim margin for error out there if you want to be the other team that has home field advantage throughout this playoff in the springtime. I'm looking at you, James Madison. I'm looking at you, South Dakota State. Same thing for the, the guys I follow day in and day out, the Bison of North Dakota State. I'm looking at you, Eastern Washington. Uh, just to name a few, Montana, you have your loss with the with the Washington win. I think it's going to be tough for Montana to get a top two seed. Now, you could be a top four seed or or you know top eight and get uh, you know uh, some some games at home. But uh, top two is where you want to be because you want that home field advantage throughout the entire playoffs and the road to Frisco for a national championship game. That's why all of these games coming up, man, slim margin for error. You better have a dose of urgency about yourself. James Madison hosting Villanova. North Dakota State hosting Northern Iowa. South Dakota State hosting Southern Illinois. What about an ETSU team who has a win in the SEC at Vanderbilt? Yeah, I get it, Vandy. You know, you don't get too fired up about them. Clark Lee will get them going at some point in time. But, but they're trying to figure it out in Nashville. ETSU's unbeaten with the Vanderbilt win, a road win at Samford, and a win last weekend over Wofford. Um, are we considering if ETSU ran the table, would they need to be considered as a top-two seed overall? And so um, an unbeaten regular season is what is going to, uh, I think, most likely be the name of the game. If you want to be a squad that is a top-two seed this year, usually one loss gets you a decent shot because I firmly believe with the history we've seen from the committee and with the spring national championship, with what Sam Houston has left on their schedule, only 10 games overall total, I think they're going to run the table. They'll finish 10-0, and and they'll be a top-two seed. So that puts uh, a lot on the plate of everyone out there looking to try and find the the best path forward in the uh, playoffs as far as a top-two seed and home field 
on the road to Frisco. All right, you can go to the Missouri Valley Football Conference every single week if you want to because I think this year with the big sky, there's certainly an argument about who's better, but these are the top two leagues this season in the FCS from what we've seen. You've got 12th-ranked Northern Iowa at 5th-ranked NDSU. You've got a top-10 matchup with 8th-ranked Southern Illinois at number 2 South Dakota State. Let's start in Fargo. This is going to be one heck of a matchup. NDSU has won seven straight, 10 of the last 11 in this meeting with Northern Iowa. For those that know the the series here, you you go back to 2008-2009. NDSU is the new kid on the block in the Valley. They're picked to win the league in their first year in the Missouri Valley Football Conference without ever playing a game in the league. Mark Farley and the Panthers, they didn't like that. They didn't appreciate it because they had been the top dogs and wanted to run uh, the show in the FCS and certainly in the Missouri Valley Football Conference, playing in a national championship game a few years prior. Uh, they felt like they were the team. Well, NDSU knocked them off that perch. They knocked them off that pedestal, and they've kept them at arm's length here uh, for the last you know seven straight matchups and 10 of the last 11. They've been great games. They've been close games, but NDSU has figured it out. They found ways to win. This year, the Bison are the best rushing offense in FCS college football. And if they're not the best defense right now, they're top two, they're top three. Northern Iowa brings in a new quarterback in Theo Day, who they inserted start of the second half at Sacramento State. And things have clicked from there for the UNI offense. They've scored 34 points or more in the last three games. You know, who cares about the competition? St. Thomas and a down Youngstown team right now, along with Sac State. Uh, they had not done that 34 or more in three straight games. Have to go back to the end of the 2015 regular season into the playoffs with uh, Aaron Bailey and company for uh, Northern Iowa. So this is an offense that's cooking along here pretty well. Uh, they've got some good running backs, Dom Williams and uh, and also Tyler Hoosman. Uh, they bring in uh, another McShane brother, Vance McShane, from St. Xavier of the NAIA, and really an interesting uh, player that, that not many are talking about. His story is very intriguing. Braderick Shaw is a seventh-year player who started at Wisconsin. He had a great start uh, in Madison. Then he tore his ACL on his right knee at the end of 2017 and had setback after setback, and he missed 21 months uh, with no football because – of that injury. Came back. By that time, Jonathan Taylor had taken stranglehold of that position group. The rest is history there. Shaw uh, transferred to Cal, played there in the fall last year uh, during the COVID year, and with the COVID season, found his way to Cedar Falls and is a bigger-bodied back for Northern Iowa that is contributing right now. So he's a fascinating story, an interesting follow. Isaiah Weston, Dion McShane, Quan Hampton, all good wide receivers. And both these defenses in this game are just lights out good. I mean, NDSU's defense only allowing, uh, you know, 5.3 points per game. Uh, UNI's not letting anybody run the football right now. That's what NDSU wants to do. This is going to be a fantastic football game. It's a sold-out crowd inside the Fargo Dome. I'm expecting Bison crowds and fans uh, back to the early days of the Division One FCS championship years where some of the loudest uh, stadiums uh, atmospheres you'd ever been a part of 
in college football inside the Fargo Dome. So uh, NDSU, Northern Iowa, both teams like to do a lot of the same things. A lot of familiarity here. Matt Entz was on Mark Farley's staff from 2010 to 2012. Uh, you also had David Braun, NDSU's defensive coordinator, was in Cedar Falls for a couple of years. And Atif Austin is the running backs coach at Northern Iowa. He was on the staff here with Chris Kleiman for uh, for some years here in Fargo. So plenty of familiarity, certainly some bad blood, some chippiness. It's going to be a big-time football game on Saturday for homecoming at uh, at the Fargo Dome. All right, then head down south two and a half hours down Interstate 29 to Dykow Stadium in Brookings, and you've got a Southern Illinois team going into South Dakota State as two touchdown underdogs, but SIU felt like they should have won the game in Brookings in the spring last year uh, in the quarterfinals. It was a night game. There was some you know some calls that Southern Illinois fans are still talking about that didn't go the way of the Salukis. SIU had the lead for the majority of that game, but couldn't finish off a very good South Dakota State team that got to Frisco. You might have seen last week when Southern Illinois got up on Western, the Salukis starting to look ahead to that game, and that's why Western Illinois came back in the second half and nearly beat Southern, a two-point conversion away from upsetting an in-state foe. So uh, Nick Hill... And this offense, it's very, very good. Their defense, very good as well. Anthony Knighton is going to go down as one of the all-time great defensive ends and and defensive linemen in Southern Illinois uh, history. Can they handle what's going to be a a pretty fun atmosphere in Brookings, I would imagine? Very good crowd. Maybe some weather in the afternoon, some rain in the area uh, down in Brookings for this one with Southern Illinois and South Dakota State. Uh, Obviously, Pierre Strong Jr. is going to lead the charge. Chris Oladokun, 11 touchdown passes this year. That's a phenomenal number through uh, the early portion of this 2021 season. This is going to be a heated one. I would expect a close game in this one as well. SDSU the favorite, but Southern Illinois feels like uh, they should have won in the springtime in the playoffs. They're going to come in focused and do whatever they can to find a way to win this game. All right, we are uh, rolling along here on the FCS Fever podcast. And as we mentioned before, CAA, Villanova at James Madison. Boy, it's tough to go into Bridgeport Stadium and uh, and beat the Dukes. But Villanova is hoping to do that this weekend and certainly would go a long way in the conversation for the conference title race and obviously playoff opportunities as well. Not many better in the biz covering their programs and covering their beat better than Greg Medea, Daily News Record, Harrisonburg, Virginia. Covers James Madison, multiple platforms, has his own podcast as well. He joins us on uh, on the program today. It's always good to talk to you, my friend. Um, this is, the, you know, anytime an in-conference foe goes into Harrisonburg, it feels like they're down 14 nothing to start. Uh, but Villanova has been close here. Uh, in years past before kind of diagnose this uh this matchup from how you see it right now the way it looks on paper yeah jeff and, and thanks for having me on the podcast with you i i think i think it's i think it's really interesting because if, if you look at this matchup historically james madison and villanova have played every season since since 1993 and that that dates back to the old Yankee conference days. And I'm sure I, the only reason I bring this up is because I'm sure Villanova is, is a little tired of having to come to, to Harrisonburg 
uh, and, and play James Madison and see JMU on the schedule because if you look at it, you look at the how the CA does scheduling, uh, they do it based on pods geographically, and, and James Madison's pod does not include Villanova, but for some reason these two play every year. JMU's pod is, is the southern tier of the league, which huh. is JMU, Richmond, William & Mary, and Elon. Uh, but for some reason Villanova's been an annual matchup for, for the CAA and in the CAA, and this will be Villanova's third trip to Harrisonburg in the last five seasons. So they they know what they're walking into. When I when I talked to Justin Covington, the, the outstanding Villanova running back earlier this week, what he was telling me is, you know, he knows the streamers will be flying when James Madison scores a touchdown, uh, their first touchdown in the game, and he knows the fans are going to be loud and uh, but. But he knows at the same time Villanova's played in this in this stadium before. They've had the opportunity to do it, so they're not. It's not new. It's not. It's not a situation they're unfamiliar with. And I think because JMU's won five in a series, five in a row in a series, Villanova is kind of feeling like they got to get over the hump this weekend if they're going to compete nationally and they want to contend for a national title. This is kind of that first opportunity to show. They, they can, and they do have what it takes to, to hang with the toughest team in the CAA and the perennial power in the league. So I think Villanova gets, has, has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder coming into this one. How does it happen, though, uh, Greg? I know Covington wasn't in the game in 19. He was hurt. Daniel Smith um, kept them around, obviously, and, and, and put them in a good position, but just couldn't, couldn't hold off a great JMU team that year in 2019 how does james madison lose a game at home in conference play what what has to go wrong overall and 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 do they have the makeup to do this uh, especially coming off of a game in new hampshire where i'm sure they felt like they didn't put their best foot uh, forward yeah and that that that's the thing i think it, it's going to come down and, and still cliche to say it out loud right the turnover the turnover aspect. yeah you look at what happened last week at new hampshire for jmu New Hampshire scored two defensive touchdowns. They scored 21 points off turnovers in total. They had a long fumble recovery for a touchdown, interception return for a touchdown, and then they capitalized on a Cole Johnson fumble uh, and turned it into seven points with its offense. So to me, I, I think, and you look back at that game in 19 with Villanova, Villanova had a lead into the fourth quarter, and then all of a sudden a couple of turnovers doomed the Wildcats that day. Uh, there was a fumble. I think John Dacko forced Daniel Smith to fumble. And then MJ Hampton had a pick six, and you know Bridgeport Stadium was a, was a party after that. As, as JMU went on to win uh, convincingly, thirty eight twenty four after being down going into that final quarter. So I, I think JMU's really got to protect the football, and and it's it's a tough it's a tough ask I think too this week because James Madison's offensive line they're going to see that weird eccentric defense, unique defense from Villanova that that you don't see all that often. It, it's mostly a 3-3, three, three, five-stack defense. They'll do some 3-4. And Mark Ferrante, the Villanova coach, is, has also said they'll do some 3-2-6. Wow. So they're going to get some unique looks and some looks they don't see very often. And with Jamie starting three freshmen on its offensive line, and those three have been pretty good this season, I still think that's, that's, that's a recipe where Villanova can maybe find some success and bring some different pressures maybe copy some of the things New Hampshire did to bring pressure from the second and third levels uh, and see if, if JMU's young young offensive linemen can, can hold up. 
I know James Madison has battled some injuries here early on in the season thus far. Uh, they have the the health back that they need right now. Where are they at health wise with some of their key guys that have been out? Yeah, they're they're getting there. I, I think per, per, they got Percy Ajayi back this past weekend against New Hampshire. Only only six carries for Percy in that game, uh, but it's it's uh, a couple of carries for Percy is probably better than nothing. Uh, and having him on the sideline like he was for the first three games while dealing with a hamstring injury. Mike Green was battling a back injury the first couple weeks of the season. He debuted against Weber State uh, in, a, in a big non-conference win for JMU that week. Uh, and then you kind of look at sounds like MJ Hampton, the safety's getting closer, but they've gotten pretty good safety play from his backup, Chris Chuck Winicki, who's who's been excellent really for them. So, I think when Hampton comes back, it'll be a more rotational situation. I don't think Chuck Winicki's done anything wrong to, to lose playing time uh, to Hampton, even though he was the starter last year and in, in, uh, in 2019 and in the spring. Uh, so to me, I, I look at, at it as they're, they're starting to get healthy. I think the offensive line losing Liam Fornado for the whole season is, is probably the toughest injury to overcome. But they're, they're trying to grow up a young offensive line quickly. Uh, the three freshmen, Tyler Stevens, Cole Potts, and Tyshawn Wyatt, they're learning quickly. I know it's something their their offensive line coach Damian Roblevsky have done has done in the past. Uh, when he was at Elon, he was there before Kurt Signetti had gotten there and kind of grew up a young offensive line that eventually was able to beat JMU and Harrisonburg. Eventually, when Signetti came and in 2018, Elon upset JMU. It was kind of the same deal, a young offensive line that had to grow up. And I think they're trying to work some of the same magic, JMU, with this group is start them young. And hopefully by the time they're seniors, uh, they're really a strong group. But uh, I think health-wise overall, they, they when you get back to all Americans, you're in a much better yeah. position than you were without them. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. No question about it. Greg Medea, Daily News record with us as James Madison Villanova a game to watch in the CAA. All right, uh, question for just the entire league as a whole. Villanova could answer this this question with the win this weekend or a, a very competitive contest, but who's the next team after JMU in the CAA right now, in your mind? I mean, do, do you buy Rhode Island? They're 4-0, and 2-0 in the league. Delaware's 2-0, and but man, they're just something feels kind of off. Nolan Henderson's injury is a big deal. Uh, New Hampshire, we saw last week, they battled James Madison, but they're three and two, two and one. Uh, what do you think? Who are you buying more of right now? Do you have an answer right now? I, I, I think it's probably Villanova's, probably the second best team, but they may not end up second in the standings behind James Madison. Rhode, Rhode Island is in a unique spot where they don't have to play JMU because of the CA's rotating schedule this year. So they missed the Dukes, and that's a huge opportunity. They got a big one this weekend, too, hosting Delaware, and they'll need to win that game to kind of solidify, I think, where they're, how they're looked at nationally because Delaware coming off the semifinal appearance. And as you mentioned, not really playing up to that same standard so far uh, this season. It's felt, it's, it's felt uh, I know their only losses to a, a pretty good Rutgers team uh, from the FBS level, but it just hasn't felt as as crisp as it was this past spring for Delaware, especially now with Nolan Henderson banged up. But I think for Rhode Island, there's an opportunity where they could finish uh, two behind JMU, or if they win this weekend, maybe they got a shot to run the table. 
Uh, I think that changes a little bit. The one thing I will say about Rhode Island is they've gotten pretty good quarterback play from Kaysom Hill. Uh, I think he started his career at Tennessee, went up, went to Maryland, uh, or vice versa, but had some experience at the FBS level, and now is is kind of running the show at Rhode Island. Uh, they got tested this past weekend against Stony Brook. Uh, maybe an overtime test. Maybe that helps them, knowing that they can win a close game and eke out a close game. Uh, their FBS game, I believe, is against UMass. So mm-hmm. yeah. that's not out of the question either. So it could set up. I think the schedule sets up pretty favorably for Rhode Island. Uh, they will have to play New Hampshire, which won't be an easy game. I think New Hampshire is probably better than than what they appeared in that pit game. And uh, maybe closer to what they played like against JMU, and Rhode Island gets them at home. So that'll be a tough one, but from, from what from what I see is they, they're in a pretty good spot. The realignment question was hot burning, it felt like, for about two or three weeks, and then uh, when, when the Mountain West said no to the American, it, it felt like it's kind of paused now to wait and see, I guess, until what the American will do next, and if the Big 12 will take Boise State or or San Diego State, there's a lot of questions out there. It, it really feels feels like James Madison wants to move up, Greg. And it feels like with some of the comments that have been made by Kurt Signetti and, uh, you know, uh, some of the statements out there that they don't seem long for the FCS division overall. Where are you at in this realignment discussion right now for JMU? Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm pretty much with your thought there, Jeff. From for especially too, from what I'm I'm kind of feeling and hearing out is is that at some point it's going to happen, and it's probably going to be within uh, you know within this round of realignment. They they missed the boat the last time, had an opportunity the last time, uh, you know, a decade ago about uh, when the Sun Belt was ready to invite them. Uh, they weren't ready to make that jump at that time. And now you look at what they've done over the last decade and how they've grown into probably the second best FCS program nationally behind only North Dakota State. I think they feel like it's it's their opportunity to move forward and, and take a step up in competition. I think they've outgrown the CAA to some extent, uh, just just based on what the other schools spend on football and what James Madison spends on football. So I do think sooner rather than later, it'll happen depending on what happens. I don't know which league uh, it ends up being for JMU. I, I know the, the idea of a group of five East coast, mid Atlantic league has been thrown out time and time again. I don't know how realistic that is. I think it's more likely that, that they join an existing uh, group of five league, and then maybe from there, uh, those group of five leagues figure that figure out how to geographically make things make sense down the road. But uh, in my opinion, all signs are pointing to it, especially on the record when the president and the AD are putting out joint statements uh, that they're, they're they're always looking for the best opportunity right. uh, for for JMU, and then the head coach of the football team, Kurt Signetti. Uh, when when I asked him a couple of weeks ago, just a simple question during a bye week about how recruiting was going, uh, and then he threw out, you know, everything's going going really really well, but in terms of the numbers, you know, we'll have to see, you know, what's kind of going on if ever, if anything else is happening, uh, alluding to the fact that uh, 
you know, you may have to add some players right. if, if scholarship numbers increase. Yeah, that was that was telling. Uh, usually, <laughs> you got guys keeping things close to the chest. That was not the case in that comment from Kurt no. Signetti. Um, who knows the FBS, his time at Alabama, his you know his family's time at West Virginia. So he knows that. Uh, setting as well as anyone does. Hey, Greg, always great. Great stuff. And uh, look forward to a great game this weekend with uh, JMU and Villanova. We appreciate your time. Yeah, for sure, Jeff. Always like talking to you. Thank you. All right. Big thanks to uh, Greg Medea from the Daily News Record in Harrisonburg, Virginia. That's going to be a big one. Villanova at James Madison in the CAA. A chance for Nova to make a statement, but it is darn tough to go into uh, Bridgeforth Stadium and get a win. Uh, against JMU. Uh, that's that's near impossible to do right now. Other games in the CAA. Don't look, but Rhode Island, yes, the Rams, they are 4-0 and right now for the first time in 20 years. So Rhode Island has gotten off to a great start. They take on the Fighting Blue Hens from Delaware this weekend. Delaware battling some injuries. They didn't look great uh, against Albany, finding a way to win that game 20-15. to um, I don't know where either of these teams are going to end up. You know, Rhode Island ha- has not been a perennial power, obviously, in the CAA. Delaware just feels off right now, and the injury issues to quarterback Nolan Henderson are a massive part to that. Dejon Lee, the running back, is a phenomenal player. Ironically enough, in some weird scheduling anomaly, it's the third straight time Delaware is going to Kingston to play Rhode Island. It's been, it's been a while since Rhode Island has been down to Newark. I don't know why that is, but uh, Delaware at Rhode Island for the third consecutive time in the series. So uh, you got, I think Delaware's the better football team overall, but something for whatever reason just feels a little bit off from afar when you watch this team and see some of the scores. And I, I think the, the injury to Henderson is a big part of that as well. A game to watch out east in the CAA. I said it earlier in the week, it feels like a three-horse race in the Southland, and uh, two of these teams play each other this weekend. You've got Southeastern Louisiana at 3-1 and one, at Nichols 2-2. Two and two. Due to the Southland losing uh, a few of their squads, you know, Sam Houston, Central Arkansas, Lamar, Tarleton, you know, all, all these teams, Tarleton State um, and others, Abilene Christian to this whack AQ7, there's a funky scheduling setup where you're seeing uh, Southland teams play each other twice. Both count towards the conference standings this year. Um, so the, this is game one of two between Southeastern Louisiana and Nichols. And folks, defense going to be at a premium. You're going to see some points in this game. This won't be the Riverbell Classic. That will be played for on November 18th uh, in Hammond when Nichols returns to take on Southeastern Louisiana. But you got two good quarterbacks in this game. Southeastern's Cole Kelly, the Walter Payton Award winner from the spring, ranked second in the FCS in passing yards per game and total offense per game. Nichols quarterback Lindsey Scott is putting up some big numbers as well. He's eighth in total offense. So two really good quarterbacks in this game. Again, the first of two matchups between Southeastern Louisiana and Nichols in Southland Conference play. Both count as conference games. But the uh, rivalry trophy will be played for at the end of the season uh, down in Hammond when Nichols makes the return trip. The other team to watch, Incarnate Word. Uh, they have an FBS win over Texas State. Uh, so far, so good for the Word. These are the three that uh, I think you watch right now coming out of the Southland as that automatic bid. 
All right, in a game that I also mentioned briefly on uh, you know on Monday earlier this week, Monday and Tuesday, uh, Alabama A and M hosting Jackson State, and the reason why this caught my eye was because of the quarterbacks initially, Akeel Glass, outstanding senior from Alabama A and M, uh, and also. Uh, Shadur Sanders, the son of Deion Sanders, a freshman at Jackson State, highly touted recruit coming in to play for his father at Jackson State, the top passers in the SWAC. But I'm looking into this thing. This is juicy, folks. It's a new rivalry in the SWAC with Deion Sanders and Connell Maynor, the head coach at Alabama A&M. Take it back to the springtime where Alabama A&M went into Mississippi Veterans Memorial Stadium and beat Jackson State 52-43. Glass threw for 440 and six touchdowns in that game. And after the game, Maynard said this towards Deion Sanders, quote, recruit some more five-stars. You talk about all them four five-stars you recruit, you're not the only one recruiting four or five-stars. We do too. Let's go. We've got guys coming back next year, too. End quote from uh, Coach Maynard at Alabama A&M. And this has continued on into this week on the coach's teleconference call. Uh, Coach Maynard has continued to send some words the way of Deion Sanders. Uh, Ironically enough, Coach Prime has uh, has held off in uh, rebuttal or returning the trash talk right now. Maybe a new version of... Of, uh, of Coach Prime of Deion Sanders. We knew he wasn't shy during his playing days to let people know about what he was doing. Uh, another uh, item that's interesting to this, in that game in the spring, Jackson State's starting quarterback was freshman Quincy Casey. At the end of the season, he entered the transfer portal. Where's he at now? He's backing up a keel glass at Alabama A&M. So folks in the SWAC, you got a, a new rivalry heating up between these two head coaches and these two programs, two great quarterbacks going head-to-head in Akeel Glass and Shadur Sanders. Follow that one this weekend. You've got Jackson State at Alabama A&M in the SWAC. All right, that's going to do it for us. Big thanks to Greg Medea. Thank you for listening. You know the deal. Subscribe, comment, like. Hit us up on social media. Find me on social media at Jeff Colhane. Let me know what games you're watching, what uh, teams and storylines you'd like to hear us talk about each week on the FCS Fever podcast. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the football. We'll be back early next week to recap and set you up for what's going to be a a fun middle of conference play as we dive into the month of October here on the FCS Fever podcast. Have a good one, everybody. Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.